I'll be reading out of John chapter 14 and continuing in our series of the I am statements. There are seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John and we have looked, this will be our fourth one. We will take a break and I'll come back to the other three, Lord willing. So in terms of this series, we finish it out this morning. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Anybody had troubled hearts recently? Yes. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? You believe in God, God the Father. Believe also in me, says Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I'm going to prepare, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas, the realist, the one we most all of us identify in one way or the other, as says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for your declarations. God, your truth. God, your preparations. God, I thank you, Lord, for God speaking to us this morning through your word and through worship and through the service. God, help us not only to hear, but to receive, God, hope, your hope, your message, your truth. So, God, let it be so. As you stir up the gifts of the Spirit within us this morning, God, as we encounter you, as we encounter your word, transform us by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Choices. Life has choices and options. Like the fall festival I shared about earlier, I had my choice of barbecue or cotton candy or fried Oreos. Sometimes choices are insignificant, but other times choices determine the path that our life takes. Yesterday evening, last night, I was flipping back and forth because one of my favorite, well, my favorite movie of all time was in the middle of a marathon, the good 1984 classic, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Jonathan just felt the wave of the Lord come over him back there. Um, and, and in this particular, at the end of Return of the Jedi, let me kind of refresh us and set the scene. And Luke has, Luke Skywalker has willfully surrendered himself to 
the, the emperor, and so he's in the Death Star, and they're there, Darth Vader, the emperor, and Luke Skywalker, and the emperor is coercing, tempting, pushing Luke to join the dark side. And Luke is, at first, kind of dismissive of this offer and this temptation, but as he sees the battle go against his friends, he begins to feel the anger rise up within him. Anybody be angry lately? He felt the anger rising up, and in that anger, it began to turn to hatred, and before you know it, he is beckoning his lightsaber, and he is trying to inflict the mortal wound as the hate and the anger consumes him, and he tries momentarily to kill the emperor. Darth Vader, of course, stops it from happening, and Luke and Darth end up in this epic, you know, for the ages lightsaber battle, ultimately with Luke's anger and hatred so consuming him, he cuts off Darth Vader's hand, you know, not making the lightsaber go away. There Darth Vader is completely helpless, undefensible. And Luke has a choice to make. Am I going to continue the road that I am on and kill, spoiler alert, my father? <laughs> or is he going to step down? Of course, the movie, we know Luke Skywalker, he steps down. The Emperor tries to uh, kill Luke, and Darth Vader comes and kills the Emperor so that Luke can live. And in that scene, I guess I was really struck with the idea of choices. And the choices that we make on a daily basis really, kind, really determine the path that our life is going to take. The choices that we have and that we execute with our everyday actions, our everyday words, they are powerful in determining the path of life that we are on. Luke Skywalker chose the path of goodness instead of evil. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, what are the choices? What is the path that we are on because of our choices? Jesus is here in our text. He's declaring to his disciples that everyone must go through him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That there is a choice, and he is declaring that he is the choice that needs to be made. Understand the context of our passage here, and that here it is, Jesus is, is it's coming on the heels of here, Jesus is going to, he's already identified the betrayer, he's already identified Judas, Judas has slipped out of the room, and he's telling the disciples that uh, they, he is going somewhere that they cannot go just yet. He's telling them, and he even tells them that, you know, in this conversation that, Peter, you're going to deny me. And, and, and in this middle of this room, understand the 12 closest companions of Jesus, out of those 12, one is going to choose the evil side, and one is going to deny the good in Jesus Christ. Talk about a rocking your world revelation moment. 
that is where the disciples are at. And I mean, where is Jesus going? Who is this betrayer? And who is going to be this, you know, how are things going to play out? And, and this information is, is really causing their mind to be blown. And, and sometimes we look around and we look at the world and we feel like our world, our minds, our hearts, our lives are being blown up by other people, other things, and consequences of circumstances that are going on around us. We feel as if the choices are being made for us and we don't have a choice. But in the middle of this doubting, we'll use Thomas's word here, in the middle of this questioning of Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're talking about. How in the world are we going to get there? I can hear almost the panic in Thomas's voice. And, and Jesus just looks at him with all confidence and all peace. And he's, and he's essentially telling Thomas, you must believe. You must believe. And Jesus is encouraging these disciples. He's encouraging them. He's encouraging us to believe that we must come today and we must recognize and, and, and receive this encouragement to believe. He makes the declaration, you believe in God the Father, will you also believe in me as his son? He's saying to them, trust me. We ourselves have to ask, are we entrusting of him? Do we just say that we believe in God? Do we just say that we believe there's a heaven? Or do we really live like our choice has been made in following Jesus Christ? When our world is shrinking and shaking, how much of a Thomas panic moment do we have? How much do we just throw our hands up and, and just chaos and we feel like uh, we're running around, as they say, like a chicken with our head cut off? Or, or do we just look at Jesus and say, okay, I don't know where this is going. I don't know where this world is going. I don't know where what's happening next, God. Oh, but I do know that I believe in you, Lord, and I'm trusting you, and I'm going to follow you wherever you may. See, Jesus says, you believe in God the Father, believe in me. And in believing in him, he says to them, I, there is a place specifically for you. There's a place for you. There's a place for you, and that place is called heaven. Heaven. In other words... Jesus is making sure there is no doubt that heaven is real and that heaven is for people. Not just for God to sit up there all alone, but heaven is for us. And heaven is this place that he's going, and he says that he's going to return from there. And in returning from there, he's going to call his people home. It's in this that probably more so than I've ever really thought about it or noticed it before. In that I always recognize our yearning for heaven. Our desire. And, 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 and I find that ache as I get older and we see the world continuing to progress the way it is. I find that yearning and that desire for heaven growing stronger and stronger each day. But something really struck me. In the passage in my studying for this week. And that not only is it our yearning and our desire to be in heaven. 
But Jesus yearns and desires for us to be there with him too. You can hear the longing. I'm going to go and prepare a place. But I'm going to come back, he says. And I'm going to take you and you can be there with me. Because wherever I am, Jesus says, I want you to be there with me. And it's in that that we see that yearning. We see that desire of Jesus Christ. We have and we recognize that call. And so because heaven is a real place and heaven is a place that he wants us to be, he is telling us that he is there making preparations. That he is making preparations for us so that we can have a room. I mean, it wouldn't really matter for us if there was a heaven, if there wasn't room for us to go. Heaven can be grand all day long, but if there's not a place for me or you, why would we be excited about it? Why would we be excited? But he says he has made preparations. I was reminded of the Titanic. The Titanic had lifeboats. For the thousands of people that there wasn't room on those lifeboats, did it really matter? How excited could those passengers really be? And we see that dichotomy, we see that division or that split. And I'm thankful that as we read scripture that there is no division in heaven. There is no division in Christ. There is no, oh some people get in uh, uh, because I like them and some people don't. But there is just but one free gift that he offers to all and his desire is for all to be in heaven with him. The only question is will we choose to accept that gift of salvation and eternal life or will we choose our own path. You see, as he makes these preparations, he says, there's room for you there with me. Meaning that we will get to be in his presence. Heaven is where Jesus is. What makes heaven heaven? Jesus. Jesus, it's not, I mean, as grand as streets of gold and the crystal sea and all of those things that, that we read about in Scripture, as, as splendid and as magnificent as those things are. There, it's not heaven without God. It's not heaven without Him. And, and so His presence, by very definition, makes heaven what it is. I'll never forget, uh, we took our youth group when we were youth pastoring to a Newsboys concert in Chattanooga. And uh, Newsboys, they, you know, but before the Newsboys took the stage, we listened to an opening act, and, and they were okay. And then we got to listen to this other opening act that nobody had ever heard of, but they were really, really good. They were unknown at the time, but they were third day. And I remember when they were on the stage, I remember turning to Tina and going, wow, they are really good. And in that moment of, of being there, of, of listening to Third Day and, and going, and, and I was excited. We could feel God, and, and, and they were a good 
primer, if you would, for what we were about to experience in terms of the main reason that we were there. If we had told our students, all right, we've heard the first two opening acts, let's head to the buses, we're heading home. There would have been a revolt, probably led by me. But we came for the real deal. We came for the main act. And as good as third day was, and you could feel the presence of God there, we came and we had a blast singing at the top of our lungs, there is no breakfast in hell. There's not. Too many times we as God's people settle for the opening act instead of pressing in and saying, God, I need the fullness of you and of your presence. And I want to side note here and challenge us that even though we're on this side of eternity, this side of heaven, we don't need to get into the habit of settling. We don't need to get into the habit of scratching the itch of happiness or scratching the itch of joy, needing and wanting joy with just the happiness of a particular event. We don't need to get into the habit of saying, God, oh, I need something more and I'm going to fill it with things of this world that satisfy my cravings. But rather, we need to be hungry for the genuine, real deal presence of God in our life. We need to make sure oh, that we're saying, God, I need you and I need your glory and I need your presence. And because ultimately, what it because become, does this life become? This life becomes a, 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 a pre-show, if you would, for what eternity is going to be. And that is going to be eternity spent around the throne of God, worshiping him, celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is going to be a time of us declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and worthy is He, worthy is the Lamb. And if that's what eternity is going to look like, oh, then let me get warmed up while I'm here walking this earth. Let me worship God. Let me step into His presence. Let me get a handful of His glory. Oh, because I know that my earthly flesh cannot handle the fullness of His glory just yet. Oh, but I still want to experience a touch. I want to have a taste. I want to have as much of His glory and His presence in my life that I possibly can handle and I want to be able to say God let me walk in you and in your steps and in your shadow and in your presence and in your glory because if I'm walking in that path if I'm walking in your shadow oh I always know your shadow is going to lead me to heaven your presence is going to lead me into the throne room of God and if I can just stay keeping my eyes fixed upon you oh I won't have to be distracted by the oh the things in this world that blow my mind away, the things that cause my mouth to drop open in disbelief, oh, those things won't shake and shatter my world because my faith and my life will be grounded upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. And when our foundation is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, we will not fall. We will not be dismayed. We will remain true and faithful until that day we walk into heaven and see His presence. See, 
Jesus is telling the disciples. Before he even gets to, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's reminding them and giving them this glimpse that there's this place called heaven. And I'm going to prepare a place for you there. And when you get there, you're going to experience my presence. Like you've never experienced it before. And it is here that we're getting this glimpse into the mentality of Jesus. That even when we're here in this world and we're troubled and we're hurting and we're weary and, and we're longing for that better place. And the brokenness of this world just weighs heavy upon us. Jesus is reminding the disciples, and I think he's reminding us today, that we were not made for brokenness, but rather we've been made for God and for his presence. And so we do not need to be overwhelmed, and we do not need to throw our hands up in despair and disgust, saying, well, if the world's broken around me, I might as well just accept my brokenness too. But God says to the disciples, I know you're confused. I know you're not quite understanding what's happening. And, and I know that these next few days are going to be extremely difficult for you. But he says, there's a place called heaven. And I'm making up preparations for you to come so that when you come you will be able to be in heaven and in my presence. And he says that to us today, that we have not been made for the brokenness of this world, but rather we have been made for God and his presence and his glory. And so, Jesus makes this declaration. I am the way. The way. I like choices, but sometimes choices and options can be overwhelming. Take in point one of my favorite places to eat that's a special treat, Cheesecake Factory. If you've ever been to Cheesecake Factory, their menu is like a novel. I don't know how many pages. I'm going to guess and say 25 pages for that menu. I don't know. I'm, I'm not exaggerating my whole lot if it's off. It's, it's like, I mean, you name it, they've got it. Bonnie's laughing. She, she, she identifies. Um, they've got, I mean, pages of appetizers, pastas, burgers, pizzas, uh, you know, steak. I mean, you name it. And that doesn't even count getting to the back of the book, which is the good stuff, which is the cheesecake. Every time we go, we have the longest debate over not what we're going to eat, but what we're going to get for dessert. You go to the window and you see all these choices and you're thinking, oh, that looks really good. That looks really good. and That looks really good. And we've been there enough to know that one of my favorites is the red velvet cheesecake. You know it's bad when the pastor's thinking about food instead of God right now. And so the debate for us yeah, y'all be hungry by the time we get done here in the next few minutes. <laughs> Tina wants to know if anyone's making a trip to Buford today. Um, so, but here's the debate. I know what I like. 
But that looks good. And that looks good. And that looks good. And should I forsake what I know is one of my favorites to experiment with something that looks good, but I don't know how it's going to taste? And I've been there enough to know that sometimes the experiment is a home run, and other times the experiment is a, ooh, this is a bad mistake. It's okay, but oh, that was a whole lot better. I should have got stuck with what I know. <laughs> You're getting marriage counseling from the back of the room. But you see, when it comes to Jesus, there is no decision to make. Because there's no comparison. He says he is the way. He's the way. There is no plan B. There is no experimenting something else that's going to pay off. There is nothing else, no other option, no other choice. There is the way. And what is interesting about this declaration is within it is built the declaration that we are lost. That we are lost. That we need a way. That we need a way to go forward. That we need a path. That we need a way. And so when he's saying to the disciples, I am the way. Oh, it is this reminder that we are disconnected from God because of sin. That we are separated by sin. And because of that, it is Jesus Christ that has showed up on the scene and that has declared that I am the bridge oh, between the chasm of the sinful man and a holy and pure God in heaven above. And Jesus said, there is no other bridge that's going to lead you there. There is no other road that's going to get you there. It is but just me. It is the way I I am the way, he says. And as long as we can keep our mind and heart fixed upon him, oh, then we will find ourselves who we right now may be separated from God because of the sinful carnal flesh. Oh, but there will be a day when the way oh, brings us into the throne room of heaven and we get to experience the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And it is there that God will look at us on that judgment seat of Christ as believers and he will look at us and he will say, I have seen no sin in you and in your life. Because all he will see is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Psalm Isaiah 59 says this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this narrowness being displayed. Think about it. And think about the tabernacle. While everybody can come into those outer courts... It is only the priest that can go into that holy place. And it is only the high priest who can go into the holy of holies. Yeah. 
and they could only go in at particular times and there were limits and there were guidelines for that. And God showed us through the law of the Old Testament that is how man must approach. There was a particular narrow way. And now here we are in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus makes clear that all that preparation of the Old Testament is simply to point us to him. That all of those things that were being painted out as there being this one way to do things is preparing the world for the declaration that Jesus is now the way. That he has fulfilled, that he has become that way. And I want us to think for a few moments about how amazing that is. God creates man. Man rebels against God. God creates you and I. And what do we do? We sin at one point or another. We try and live life without him. We will even spend times of ignoring him or replacing him or just full out rebelling against him. But yet, but yet, God still loves us. He declares that even while we were still yet sinners, rebelling against him, that he died for us and for our salvation. And so he loves us. He pursues us. He provides a way back to heaven. He provides a way where there is no other way. Why? Because Jesus is the way. Oh, and he becomes that one that reconnects us so that we can be able to know our heavenly father and he will be able to lead us there through salvation. And if we don't recognize the amazing reality of what that means, oh, then we need to have our eyes open and examine because it is Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the Son of God, who died on the cross for you and I to provide the way. He also says he's the truth. Our world today likes to make us be clouded with what truth really means. There has become this confusion between relative truth and absolute truth. Relative truth means that whatever is true to you may not have to be true to me. Now when it comes to things like your favorite flavor of ice cream, I can say, I'm on, I'm on a food kick today, aren't I? Didn't even realize that until I'm up here. I must have been hungry. So the favorite, you know, I could sit up here all day long and say strawberry ice cream is the best. Actually, you know, let me retract. Homemade peach ice cream is the best flavor of ice cream there is. And that would be my truth. But that may not be yours. My sons, they'll tell you the, favorite, the best flavor of ice cream is cookies and cream. Anything with Oreo in it is going to be good. And so we would all have this relative truth about what is the best flavor of ice cream. And that's okay. Because that's an opinion. But there are absolute truths in this world. Two plus two equals Tony Brown said three. <laughs> two plus two 
two is four. And that is the absolute truth no matter what Tony says. <laughs> Facts don't care about Tony's feelings about three being the right answer or not. So there are certain, there are these absolute truths that are non-negotiable. Doesn't matter how much we argue, two plus two is always going to equal four. And so we recognize that, that there is this distinction of those things that are an absolute truth. One of the things, we not only know that, but we know God's word is by definition. We have to have something that is the truth bearer and the truth standard. We as believers, we understand and we have uh, not just by faith, but we know by evidence that God's word is true and is the truth. And we are reminded that what does John 1, 1 declare? Oh, that in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and dwelled among us, so that that Word, who is Jesus Christ, and so when Jesus is standing here talking to the disciples, oh, he's telling them that I am the truth. It is a fulfillment of his declaration that began at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, when he says, I am the truth. I am the Word of God. And so we understand that there are some things that are actually absolute. They are not relative. The standard of morality based on God's word is not true to one person and different to someone else. But God's word and his truth is absolute. And we must understand that the fundamental, fundamental basis of truth is always going to start and end with God. Yeah. Always. It's not a matter of what I think or you think always going to be a matter of what God yeah. declares. We cannot understand the most fundamental truths apart from Jesus Christ because he declared himself as the truth. Because Jesus is the truth, he is the way. Jesus is this ultimate revelation. He is God in the flesh. Think about just for a moment of all the declarations of who God is. We know him as being omnipresent. We know him as being all powerful. We know him as, as being holy. We know him as being king. We know him as creator. We know him about so many things. And we celebrate those. But the pinnacle... The peak of all of these declarations about who God is, is wrapped up in this declaration that he is the truth. Because if we can't count on that, then how do we know he really is all those other things that we just said? And so he is the truth. And and because he is the truth, this matters more than simple facts like two plus two. It, it matters more than anything else. And, and, and what is, who is God and who is he all about? And him being the truth shapes everything else about who he is. It shapes everything else about us and our lives. And in a pluralistic society like we live in now, in a society that believes, oh, well, it, there's lots of different paths to heaven. There's lots of different paths to truth. Oh, is there really a God or is there such a thing as God and who is that God? Jesus Christ is stepping out and he's making this definitive declaration. I am 
the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Oh, you see, in this moment, we realize that we can be religious, we can be moral, we can be good people, oh, we can have good ethics, oh, we can be a great wife or a great husband, oh, we can be a great son or a great daughter, we can be great at our job, we can even be a great neighbor, but we cannot know what truth really is if we are apart and separated from God. We must begin by accepting Jesus and looking to him because he declared, I am the way and I am the truth. It is here that we recognize Jesus. I need you. And because he's the way and because he's the truth, he's also the life. Jesus is the way to God because he alone is the life. A couple weeks ago, we talked about him being the resurrection and the life. Meaning he has power over death. He alone is able to impart and breathe not just physical life, but spiritual life. Spiritual life to those that maybe feel as if they are spiritually dead. Maybe this morning you feel just that way. You feel as if something spiritually has died within you. God wants to remind you this morning. No, I am life. I am life. You see, without Jesus, we are spiritually dead and we die and we suffer the second death or eternal death in hell. But with Jesus, with him. We get victory over death, and death does not have the last say-so in our life. And, and with him, we understand that he is uh, the life. And, uh, and, and what did he declare in John chapter 10 and verse 10? He said, the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus declared, I have come that they may have life, that you may have life and have life more abundantly. It is here that we begin to realize, oh, that it is Jesus. And the reason that he is life and he is the life is because even though he was crucified, he rose on the third day. And that today we come and we celebrate a, celebrate a resurrected Jesus Christ. He is alive. And because he is alive, he can make the declaration, I am life. What good does it do for anyone to say, I am the life, but then being dead in a grave, buried six feet under? It defies the very logic and the very definition. Oh, but the reason Jesus, and this is the truth about who he is, of him being the life, is because Jesus is alive today. You see, because, because he lives. We can have a new mind. 
Because he lives, we can have hope. Because he lives, we can have a new life. Because he lives, we can have a new purpose. Oh, because he lives, we can have maybe a fresh outlook on life and, and what is our purpose and what is our role. Oh, because he lives, we can have a new perspective. Because he lives, we can have a way to get to heaven, a way to be able to know salvation and eternal life. Oh, because he lives, we understand what life really is all about because he lives we understand what it means to live that victorious life you see in all these declarations we could stop right there and, and, and everything would be great and, and that message of the way the truth and the life would probably resonate with a lot of people even non-believers to a point he says, he follows that statement in verse 6, of no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Talk about exclusive. Exclusivity. There's no exceptions to this. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus. Through political power we can maybe find some sense of control. Through money, we can maybe attain some sort of influence over others. Through comfort, we may even find rest and relaxation. Through pleasure, we may find a temporary happiness. Through learning, we will gain a whole lot of knowledge. But you will only get to heaven through Jesus Christ. None of those things will gain us entry there. He alone is the way. He alone is the truth. He alone is the life. And, and sometimes people struggle with this because they really begin to think, well, isn't that being narrow-minded? Aren't you being cold and, and callous toward others and, and all of those kinds of things? But let me ask you, if you were ever trapped in a burning building and a fireman made his way to you, and told you all the other exits are blocked with fire. There's only one way to get out. Follow me. Are you going to have an argument with that fireman? No, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to be offended. We're going to say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Lead the way. Get me out of this burning building. And Jesus is showing up and he's saying this world is on fire. It is broken and it is deteriorating. It is corruptible. And there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way out of this burning building that we call this world. And it is through him and through the name of Jesus Christ. And we don't need to be offended. We don't need to be ashamed. Oh, but rather we need to be declaring to every single person that we can. This is the way to go to get out. This is the way to escape. This is the way 
to find redemption. That needs to be our burden so that we're not just leaving it up to a pastor or a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist, but every single one of us need to be firefighters in the sense that we need to be racing into the building, this burning building called this world and this earth, and we need to be saying to our friends and to our family, come, let me show you the way. I can't do it. I can't save you, but I know who can. Let me introduce you to my friend. Oh, he sticks closer than a brother, and he laid down his life for you. He loves you that much, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. Will you follow him like I have? Hallelujah. Give God praise this morning. Preacher, my friend at work says, All gods lead to heaven. Here's where the problem becomes with that. If you've ever had a conversation with Muslims, they will acknowledge they believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus depending on what sect they are in. Some variation of saying that Jesus was a teacher, he was a good man, or he was a prophet. They'll acknowledge those things. And they, in that sense, will try to tell us as Christians that they believe the same as us. But here's the problem with that. Jesus says... I am the only way. He says, I am the only truth. I am the only source of life. He declared himself as the Son of God. He said that everyone must believe in him to have eternal life. So here's the problem with that rationale. If we are going to assess and look at Jesus, you have to make one of three conclusions. You have to say, Jesus, he's just a liar. He was lying about all this. He was lying about being the son of God. He was lying about being the only way to heaven. That's one conclusion. The other conclusion is, he's a little crazy. When I worked in the emergency room up in Tennessee, we had a guy in the community. He came in regularly. I'm Jesus, the Son of God. And it took about five seconds of a conversation to realize this man is crazy. So either he's lying on purpose, or he's crazy, lunatic, kind of crazy, or he's telling the truth. To me, there is no other conclusion that can be drawn based on the declarations of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He makes these declarations to us. And we have to make the decision. What is our choice? What is our decision? You see, it's not just... It's not just the idea that there are good, moral, living Muslims or 
Buddhists or any other faith that are quote-unquote being left out. Because there will be good moral living Church of God folks and Baptist folks and Methodist folks that will one day stand and hear those words. Depart from me because I've never known you. And I don't say that to scare us. I say that to cause us to make an honest assessment. Have we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? We can't just live the good life. We can't just be a good person. We can't just say, well, I believe in God without saying, God, I choose you. I choose you. As musicians come this morning. We all believe in something. We all trust in something. Some are hoping to get to heaven just by being the best person they can. I even know one of our founding fathers who took his Bible and he cut out the parts he didn't like in the scriptures to make his own Bible. Who's Thomas Jefferson? I like Thomas Jefferson. I'm not, but we can't live our faith like that. can't pick and choose what we want to believe and don't believe. We've got to say that is the truth. And because this is the truth, Jesus is the way. And through Jesus, there's life. If you would stand with me this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, Acknowledge, Pastor. I am not sure this morning. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that place that Jesus is preparing. I'm not, I'm not sure. And this morning, you want to say, I want to make sure. I want to make sure that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for me in my life, in my heart. And I want to, I need to make things right with God right now by either asking Jesus into our heart or into your heart or, or declaring that, God, I need you. If that's you this morning, would you just lift up your hand? or a touch this morning to remind me about his truth and his life. Because you admit you're struggling right now. You're struggling with the brokenness of this world and you're trying, you, you love the Lord and you're trying to follow him, but where in the world is this all going to lead? And this 
morning, you just need a reminder, an encouragement, a touch from him, from from the Lord that says, I'm here, trust me. If that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And lastly, would you say, Pastor, there's people around me that I know that they're still in that, they're in that burning house and they don't know the ultimate fire, but they don't know Jesus Christ. And I have a burden or I want a burden for them to pray for them and to help them find salvation. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand today? Thank you. Thank you. As I pray this morning, these altars are open. Join those that have already responded. Come. Either turn your life over to Him. Come encounter His truth in His life. Come and find the boldness and the wisdom to lead others to Christ. To fetch fetch you as I pray, come. Your Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I praise you. Oh, that, Lord, that we are able to come today and be reminded that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And, God, in this, and in, oh, that declaration, God, no one comes to the Father except by you. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to see, to realize, to understand that, God, for those that, oh, Lord, need that assurance, God, we declare right now, God, through their confession of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Oh, but Lord, as they declare and repent, God, of of all that they've done wrong, oh, but Lord, that you will just rush in like a flood. And God, as they say, God, I'm sorry for that which I've done wrong, as they declare that, Lord, they want you to come into their heart and into their life, God, and be Savior, be Redeemer. And as they give you thanks and pledge themselves to you, to follow you, God, I pray that you will surround them, cover them, oh Lord, and meet with them in a special way. God, I pray for those that just need the reminder that God, even in the brokenness and the, oh, the corruptible nature of this world, that God, that you are life and life more abundantly. Meet with them this morning. Wrap your arms around them. Oh Lord, allow your spirit to cover them. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. Whether they whether we raised our hand or we didn't, God help us to have a burden for the lost. Help us to have a burden for those that are away from you, God. Those that are perishing and don't even know it. So God, I pray that Lord, you will burden each and every person in here with the burden to pray for them, the burden to. To them, to burden to, oh Lord, encourage them. A burden, God, to invite them to church. A burden to, oh, share with them our story about what you've done for us so that, God, they could find their way out of this burning building called earth. God, we need you. We need your touch. And we need your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands this morning, church, and begin to thank him and praise him for his salvation for His truth, for His redemption. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
God, we just come and we surrender everything to you. Every need, every concern, every worry, every anxiety. Speak life into every mind and heart today. Life and life more abundantly. Oh Lord, we give ourselves and we pledge that God, we believe. We believe in you. Will you prepare a place called heaven for each and every one of us? Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to you, glory to your holy name. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus, Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whether you are in the room or whether you're watching online and you have prayed a prayer today to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that He is the way, I want to hear from you. I want to rejoice with you. I want to bless you. So whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online, reach out to us. Let us know so that we can do that. Do just that. I am thankful. Aren't you? that He is the way, that He is the truth, and He is the life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love You today. We exalt You in Your holy name. Thank You, God, for the opportunity, the honor, the pleasure of being able to gather in the house of God today to magnify and lift up the name of Jesus because Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.